Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast for Monday, August 14th, 2006. Hi, this is Michael Lozan, and welcome back to Manager Tools. Today, Mark Horseman and I have a great one for you. If you ever had to deal with two of your directs fighting about something, this is the cast for you. Mark likes to say that the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. Well, if that's true, then 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 people in the same organization, it's not just a conflict waiting to happen, it's a conflict guaranteed to happen. Yep, conflict is inevitable. Unfortunately, the natural response of most managers to conflict among their staff or team, and you can guess what it is, is completely, totally ineffective. Sure, some conflict is good. It's a creative tension that produces better ideas and disagreements that lead to a third way. But most of us don't describe that as conflict. That's just different ideas. The conflict we're talking about here is by definition dysfunctional and ineffective. This cast lays out a way to address it and move toward effectiveness. So, here we go. So, Mark, managers don't do well with staff conflict. Why do you think not? I mean... What's going on there? Yeah, ma- managers don't do well with staff conflict, Mike. I think you're right. Um, and, and my sense of it is, is this is just another area where um, there are very few detailed recommendations. Uh, there are a lot of courses on conflict management that talk about the theory of conflict management. I like, no offense, but I, I really don't want to know theory. What do I do? Um, there doesn't appear to be any helpful guidelines out there. The training, again, the training that's provided tends to be off base and more theory rather than practice. And a lot of times, the, tr- the theory, the training is things like you need to be sensitive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love okay, that. great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and, you know, yet again, managers want to do well. Um, but what I see in terms of activity in the workplace is, is somewhat off base. And, and it's not because people don't want to do well or don't think it's important. They recognize that conflict is, can, can be destructive. Um, but I just think we have a lot of wrong examples to draw on. Are you saying that senior managers and executives and like don't do it well? Or? Well, uh, um, not exactly. I, I think you're right. Um, I, I think executives don't set a good example. There, there is one area where they do set a good example. We'll talk about that. Um, but what I meant was that no one really has any work examples to go off of. Well, that's true for most of management, right? Yeah, okay, okay, good point. Um, But, okay, I'm not not making my point very well. Let me say it differently. I'll use a funny example. Suppose you're a young manager, you're 25 years old, you're having to figure out the right sequencing of a series of tasks on a project you're working on, a six-month project. You're trying to figure out what order to put the task in, which ones are most important, um... Uh, figuring out which ones are on the are, are are key to the to the overall delivery. When you're doing that, you're 25 years old. You went to went to an undergrad. You got a degree, um, and you're thinking about this project. You're laying it all out. When you're doing that, Mike, what are you going to draw on in order to do that? Uh, school, you know, critical path analysis stuff I did in school, PERT diagrams, technical classes in college, etc. Maybe yeah, they you know. teach that, right? Yeah, I mean, they teach that. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, critical CPM and per charts. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Bingo. Um, okay, so you do that. That's good. School helped you. You're like, hey, I remember this from school. Maybe even pull out a textbook. No, maybe not. Um, <laughs> later the same day, two people who work for you have a big blow-up. They're yelling and screaming at each other. What do you draw from now? Hmm. 
well, not school. They didn't teach a lot about that in, in school. So, well, my guess probably you probably learned it growing up. You know, you probably uh, uh, whatever you observed as a child growing up, your parents most likely. Yeah, probably, because because conflict happens in families. I mean, you don't do perch charts in families, um, but you do do conflict in families. So, yeah, I would agree. I think it comes from growing up. My that's what my experience shows. When you talk to people about it. Their, their descriptions of it tends to go back to childhood or parenting or young adulthood or whatever. But, but look, um, so in other words, we haven't taught them how to deal. We haven't taught managers how to deal with conflict in the workplace. Those people go on to become senior managers and executives, and I hate to say it, but they may never learn how to deal with conflict. Hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, they may never learn, and that's in fact what makes them good at something, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so look, I, I want to get to the solution. Um, but before I do that, let's go over a couple of mistakes that, that people make. They're not mortal sins. We're not talking about big, hairy errors. But they're worth knowing about. Before we get into the details of how to, it's worth talking about you know, why we get things wrong. Okay. So, but before we do that, let's, you know, let's give the, the patented uh, Mark Horseman manager tools overview of where we're going. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I got, I got all excited talking about what I see. In, uh, you know, when, I, when I coach people, what I see, the, the way people get it wrong. But you're right. You're right. Uh, I just get going and it's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so thank you, sir. Um, so excited. So two, two parts to this cast then, Mark. Um, first is why we get things wrong. And we do. I mean, we're just not great at this necessarily. And then secondly, what to do to make it right. Uh, I, let's move really quickly through the why we get it wrong. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I do think it's important to, to touch on it. So we've got four reasons why we get things wrong. First of all, we focus on the conflict, on, on the drama. Second, we make it too personal. Third, we punish it. And fourth, therefore, because of three, we don't see it um, as often as we should. Okay, so those are the four things. We'll talk about those in just a minute. That we Ways I see managers getting it wrong. Now, let's talk about the manager tools way. What do you do? Well, I hate to, to start with why we get it wrong and then to start with not with the first thing and what to do is actually what not to do. But the first thing of not to do is don't bring two people together in front of you in your, de- in front of you in your office. It doesn't work. Okay. Mm. Now, okay, now that we're past what not to do, yeah, what should you do? We'll have to talk about that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my, if you can't tell that I have a personal pet peeve about that, sorry. I've learned that absolutely the hard way a hundred times. People come to me and say, well, uh, again, I'll get into that in just a minute. So, oh, okay, so you're going to have an opinion. Hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fancy that. Uh, first thing, decide to act or not to act. I think that's important. I think that's the first step. Then, then the second part has four key subparts, and that is we want to frame your view of the conflict in four specific areas. First, people, then feedback, then apologies. That's something different for most people. And then lastly, work. When we talk about people, we want to reinforce the people. When we talk about feedback, we're going to give feedback about the conflict behaviors. When we talk about apologies, believe it or not, I recommend you ask for people to do so, and it's a surprisingly effective. Something I've learned maybe learned maybe seven or eight years ago, and it made a huge difference in terms of conflict resolution. And then lastly, we want to make sure we touch on the work, because conflicts always tend to spring from work, uh, or 90% of the time they do, and a lot of times managers forget that part of conflict because they focus so much on the drama. Okay. Um, now, okay, so that's, that's the high level, um, and I want to make a couple of more points. 
Um, we're not talking here about folks disagreeing about the right way to do something. If you and I are coworkers and we report to Joe and, and we're trying to figure out the right way to work on a particular project or whatever, if we have a disagreement, that's not conflict. You think it should be A, I think it should be B, and, and we're still working on it, but we've got a differing point of view. Um, that's not conflict, um, or it may be conflict in the pure sense of the word, but I would call that a disagreement. Uh, we're not here talking about disagreements. We're talking about something larger than that. Inefficient, not professional, lack of communication, personal attacks, coalition building to win a vote, <laughs> um, others on the team talking about it, a lot of work not getting done, avoidance of one another, rudeness, loud or aggressive behavior. Those are the kind of things that inform what we mean by conflict, not just two people disagreeing and trying to work it out. Uh, yes, technically, I think a, a psychologist would say they're in conflict, but I'm talking about, we're talking about inefficient, inefficient ineffective behaviors. A, a physical brawl would be a good indicator that we're talking about conflict, right? Yeah, it and might fall. be on the far end of the spectrum, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yeah, if in fact there's a brawl, then yes, it's a, a horseman's 21st law. If there's a brawl, yes, there's conflict. Uh, and, and Horseman's 22nd law, it doesn't take a brawl for a good manager to know that there's conflict. (laughs) And the point we make about the difference between conflict and disagreement, because there is some creative tension that's good in the workplace. Diversity is good, right? Um, perhaps the most important thing we can say on the cast about conflict and managing staff conflict is this. Conflict is a set of ineffective and sometimes unprofessional behavior, and the solution, in almost all cases, to ineffective behavior is what everybody's heard me say a million times, feedback. Conflict essentially requires feedback. And if people want to get disappointed because they think we're going to have a 17-part plan for how to deal with this, we don't. When there's conflict, you need to give people feedback about the conflict. And we've expanded it because I've learned over time that sometimes if we only, we only give feedback about the drama, about the brawl, if you will, or about the yelling, people forget that there's a larger context in which it happens. And I've learned from some really great managers about how to tamp down some of the things you need to address when there is conflict to make sure it's not you don't repeat it again in two or three weeks. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, all conflict is about ineffective behavior and largely of course inefficient therefore and ineffective behavior calls for the manager who is willing to give feedback okay okay uh, so okay so what you know we, we don't want to spend too much time on this but right. you know, why do we get it wrong what, what goes on there yeah uh, we'll go back over them real quickly first of all we focus on the conflict mike we're so as managers we're so fond of prone to fixing problems, managing by exception, that so many managers I see, they, they see conflict as a problem to be solved. It's an issue to address and knock it down. It's like, it's like playing that darn game where the little, uh, the little possums or whatever, they jump up out of the holes in the, in the arcades and you get a hammer to hit them down. And, and if people feel like they're constantly fighting fires or whatever, conflict between two employees is just a fire and they fight it and it goes away. We jump in with both feet, we give instructions, we spend a minute on it and we're quite directive about it. Um, and, and, we focus on the conflict. I bet the Heidi's are really good at this. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it gives them an adrenaline rush. They solve the problem. Boy, problem solved. You know, they, it's like addressing all the C things in their priority list, not the A's and B's, but the C's, because they're really easy to do. They happen real fast. And you think, man, I got 30 things to do today. I didn't push the peanut forward, and we're not any more profitable. But boy, I accomplished a lot. Um, now, there's also, relatedly... You know, we're talking about a high D here in terms of a, a conflict person, and, and high high C's tend to be uh, the same way. But there's also another way that people 
focus on the conflict, but it's not addressing it like a high D would with aggression. And that is the high I's and high S's, the people-focused folks, they avoid the conflict. That's their way of focusing on the conflict. They don't think about the work. They don't think about the people. They don't think about apologies, which are all part of the, the, the solution that we recommend. They focus on the conflict itself, um, the drama. And the drama causes them to not be comfortable because it's people fighting. And so they withdraw. Um, and so, believe it or not, one of the ways that managers focus on conflict is to avoid it um, and, and because they don't see the other parts of it. So that's one thing that we get wrong. Another thing we get wrong is we, we make it personal. We forget that the conflict was probably about work to begin with, or we forget that it's about behavior. It's about people behaving. Um, and then we start focusing about the people. Um, and it's true that people are involved, but basically what we do when we make this mistake is we attack the people. We tell them that they're the problem, that they're not team players, that there's no time for this. Um, look, no offense, but that's, that's not effective. People aren't bad. People in conflict aren't bad. It, do, it doesn't do you any good to tell a person how lousy they are. They're just good people engaging in ineffective behavior, and we need to give them feedback. So when we make it personal, it doesn't work. Um, again, conflict is just folks engaging in ineffective behavior. And so that tells you obviously what the answer is because ineffective behavior always calls for feedback. Another Number three, why we get it wrong. We punish it. And this is just an extension of the above too. We hear about conflict. We read folks the right act. We say, "I right, no more, by gosh. And you, you, you stand up in front of a team and you say, I've had enough of this stuff. You make sure that everybody knows that we don't tolerate this around here. Um, but nobody learns anything other than the last point, which is don't show the boss that you're in conflict. And so point four is we don't see it. No one tells us about it. We don't want to see it. We tell them it's not acceptable. They don't want you to see it. Your team doesn't want to see it because they get punished for it. So we're essentially complicit in burying the problem. And it only surfaces when someone pops off because they're resigning. Mm. And that's an ouch. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, so now look, yeah, so we cover that. I just covered it briefly because many, many people are probably saying, well, maybe I'm okay on conflict. Well, maybe not because of these kind of things. The great thing is it's easy to fix. This is an easy thing to fix if you just frame your debate, frame your discussion a little bit differently. Yeah, that's interesting because most people, I suspect, don't think it's easy. I mean, they dread it like... Uh, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And I think these all the thing we just talked about, the getting it wrong stuff, is if you don't think it's easy, you tend to respond in a not effective way. You don't think very strategically about it, and you focus on the drama or the personal part of it or about punishment, which is, which is a form of feedback, but it's not very effective. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So what do we do? Tell us what good. we do. All right. I, I just I ask everybody to be gracious with me and not bombard me with negative emails. Oh, if you want to, it's okay. I'll be nice. Um, uh, but the first thing you don't do is the stand. Even if you're not doing the things we just mentioned in terms of getting it wrong, the one thing you absolutely must not do. Please, 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 don't ever do this. Don't bring two people who are in conflict together in front of you, in front of your desk, or into your office. No, you're not going to get feedback. You're going to get stoned. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I, that's what I do. The conflict tends to go away. No, it doesn't. What happens when you... It just has such a good managerial feel, right? I'm the boss. I don't like what they're doing. I get to Every once in a while, I get to use my power. And by the way, manager tools is not against managers using their power. There are times when you absolutely should use your power to promote people, to fire people, to reward people, all that kind of stuff. That's why you're given organizational power at times is to use it, but not too much. But this is not the time to use your power. 
Every human being does things for one of two reasons, Mike. Either they're seeking pleasure or they're avoiding pain, or, or obviously both at the same time. When you bring people in front of you together who have been in conflict, they will do anything to avoid the pain of feeling five years old again and sitting in front of their parents or their father or their mother. They will do anything to feel the pressure, the pleasure of the fresh air outside of your office. They will lie. They will shake hands. They will kiss and make up. And this has nothing to do with the underlying conflict. Nothing. Everything that people do in your office, managers out there, is a function of them being in your office when we're talking about a conflict situation. They are avoiding the pain. They want to get out of there so desperately. In fact, if you've ever seen some two people in your office at the same time, look over their shoulder. It's not because they heard something. It's because they're deathly afraid that there's somebody watching them from the outside. This is particularly true in cubicle environments where managers often have a cube with, with a couple of windows in it uh, or a, a space that people can look through, a, window, a door with a window in it. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it just does not work. And managers feel like they solve the problem. Hey, you two guys have been fighting. What's going on? Well, no, 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 no. They just hey, buried it. You know, shake hands, get over it. Roger that, boss. And people shake hands and they're done. And they walk out and within 30 seconds, one of those guys or, or young ladies goes back to their coworkers and says, what a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Hmm. Now, do you ever and, see the exact opposite where folks, um, the, the pain that they're trying to avoid is looking like a fool in front of their boss, and so they just dig in further into their position and don't come out of that position to come hell or high water? Yeah, I, I, um, I, oftentimes what I see is they, they might take a position, but then they don't say anything. They just kind of hunker down, and they're not terribly vocal. Um, mm. but, but quite frankly, if you know, one of the things that happens is manager doesn't know what to do, and the person who doesn't speak but states their opinion and then just sort of shuts up and doesn't defend themselves or doesn't really attack or anything, the manager says, well, I don't know what to do. I'll have to talk to each one of you individually. And as long as they can get out of your meeting without getting punished or without having to admit the other person was right and groveling and saying it was my fault, they probably see that as a tactical win. So, yes, I do see it, but, in, but usually in the form of they hunker down and they don't say a whole lot. Right, right. Hmm. Okay. So enough, enough of what not to do. Please, manager tools, managers out there, whatever you do, don't bring them in together in front of your office. It doesn't work. It creates a new set, a new context for different behavior that has nothing to do with the original conflict you're trying to solve. Now, good. Okay, let, after saying that, because that's probably what ninety percent of the people do out there. So let's let's tell them what they can do. Because yes. right now they're fa- probably feeling pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, okay, <laughs> yeah, maybe sure not. you are. Um, <laughs> Look, first step, decide to act or not. This is the step that executives have mastered. (laughs) Sometimes they've, quote, mastered it because they don't like conflict and they simply avoid it. And sometimes they've mastered it because they actually have mastered it. The point is that sometimes conflict happens and you don't need to do anything overt. And here's some rules to think about. I, I, this has taken me years to come to, but, but I find it to be true over and over again. If the conflict is A, about something minor, or B, doesn't involve your top performers, or doesn't involve C, performers who had conflict problems, problems routinely, it may be worth giving some space. Every once in a while, as, you know, as my dad used to say, the definition of conflict is, is two human beings in the same county. 
It's now become one of my favorite phrases. Um, every once in a while, you put 10 people in a small space in cubicles, sometimes shared and sometimes moving cubicles around depending upon situations and sharing uh, locker space or what have you. There's going to be conflict. Um, and if you addressed every single conflict, as you define conflict, however, however that may be, uh, if every manager did that all the time, we'd be doing nothing but that. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, look, if it does involve your top performers, it's easy. The feedback step we're going to talk about, we want you to actually give feedback to your top performers about not coping effectively, that you expect more from them than that. We expect you to hold them accountable for reaching out and solving the problem to a greater degree than the other combatant. And if they come back to you and they say, gosh, it feels like I'm being picked on. No, you're not. I'm simply saying I expect more from you than them because you're one of the top performers. And if you want to develop and if you want to grow and you want to get promoted, I expect you to stick out your hand first. Sometimes people say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that to my top performer. I don't want him to feel like he's being punished. Top performers repeatedly tell me they don't feel they're being punished. They feel they're being developed. And the fact is, when you become an executive, it's all about conflict and relationships and resolution of conflicts in an effective way. And if you're always going to fight to the death and you're never willing to stick out your hand and saying your way is better or I apologize or let's move forward together, you better be prepared for an extremely politicized work, workplace where nobody cares or trust, cares about or trusts each other. And it's all about who's smarter and who's more clever. And that's not about the organization. That's about personal gain. And that doesn't work, at least in, in my world. Oh, you can get ahead for a little while, but in the long run, there's you know, one of my favorite sayings is um, you can take more than you give for a little while until they run you out of town. Um, you can't win every single political battle and expect people to love you. It doesn't work that way. That's good. Right. We should, we should uh, capture that last 60 seconds and uh, put it on an index card so folks have it to share with their folks when this when subject comes up. Because I think you made a great point about about developing subordinates and Sometimes yeah. demanding Ask. higher standards of your top performers oh, is not putting them we, down. We've got to, you know, we, we really haven't come back to the whole development theory of manager tools, Mike, but you and I are so in agreement on this. Your top performers, you should ask more and more of them. And every hour you spend with a top performer is worth more to the organization than an hour you spend with a bottom performer. And, and I'm not suggesting the bottom performers aren't valuable, that we shouldn't spend time with them, we shouldn't try to develop them. But Peter, you only need to read Peter Drucker one time to get the sense that you should differentially engage with your top performers in, in, more often than, than those people at the bottom. Yeah, and demanding more of your top performers is not, quote-unquote, unfair. Right, yeah. And, oh, I, I've, I've been trying to figure out how to write about a, a blog about fairness, Mike. I think fairness is a really scary word in business. It's, it ranks right up there with should. Should is a spiritual word, a religious word, a moral word, but... And I think business should be moral and ethical, but, but I, we start using shoulds. I think it's very careful. I would love somebody to tell me if I ever use it in a, in a cast, and I'll take it back immediately and, and, and characterize things differently. Yeah. Now, look, to, to move on here, if we've got a performer that has conflict issues, you need to address it, with it, address it with them within the context of their previous performance. Hopefully, if they have a string of this, you're, you're coaching them. Um, and if you are already coaching them, you should be giving them specific feedback and relating it back to that coaching model uh, along the lines of, hey, when you raise your voice and when you walk out, I begin to wonder how far we've gotten in your coaching. I wonder if we need to do something different. I wonder if we're ever going to get to the goal. And if we don't ever get to our goal um, where we expect you to be in terms of working well with others, which is a core thing that's true in our company, um, boy, that, that makes me worry about your long-term future here. Okay. So... Um, so that's really the first step, which is um, decide to act or not act. Okay. Step two, um, 
there are four parts when you actually decide to act that are very, very important. And that's people, feedback, apologies, and work. First thing, people. Um, reinforce your people versus behavior. In other words, the behavior they engaged in during the conflict was ineffective. But they're still people. You still want them on your team. And the reason I say this is because conflict is inevitable. Um, and your people, so therefore, your people are going to get into it. But drop, p conflict off, often becomes very dramatic, Mike. And people get real quiet and go, oh my gosh, look, uh, Mike and Mark, they got into it the other day. And it's all people talk about for half a day. Oh my gosh, what's the boss going to do? And in order to help people see that it's not every eye in the building on them, it's important that when you talk to them, you separate the person from the behavior. It's that old saying of we attack the behavior, not the person. We love the sin. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. Um, it's okay to say um, when you do give feedback, I think you're a good member of this team. I'm glad you're here. You're really good at coding. You're really good at project management. You're really good at customer service. You're really good at managing your team. Folks need to hear that, and, and we need to say that often before, as a preface to the feedback about the behavior, okay? Um, conflict is so scary to many people. If you're giving feedback to a high I or a high S, for instance, about conflict, and if you tell them that it makes them look bad and it, makes, it stirs people up and it makes the team less effective and so on, they could very easily walk out of your office very dejected. And, and please, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting the... Uh, the sandwich technique, make them feel good and then tell them they did something wrong and then pat them on the back on the way out. You don't have to do that. But you can say, hey, look, I care about you. This is something that's important. Yeah, okay, it's conflict and we got to talk about that. And let's not forget, I'm having two conversations with you. One is, you're fine. It's going to be okay. And we need to work on this behavior. And I think the, the, key for, the key word there is the and. Not, I like you, but. It's, I care about you and this behavior is ineffective. How can we do this differently? Okay, so that's the first step. Remember, you need to take the people off the edge of the cliff, if you will, about the conflict, and that means telling them they're good. Then the next part after people is feedback. And this is easy. This is just a feedback model about the conflict behaviors, not about the work, about the conflict behaviors, about the yelling, about the avoidance of the other person, about the lack of an email response. You know, somebody comes to you and whines and says, Bob doesn't respond to any of my emails. Okay, there's probably conflict there. Now, you may ignore that because you don't want to give too much credence to um, the person who comes and whines all the time. Um, but, but if, in fact, there is a conflict uh, and you notice it and it's clear that they're engaged in very inefficient and very ineffective behavior, you need to give feedback. Hey, Mike, um, can I give you some feedback? When you repeatedly cross your arms and roll your eyes in a meeting when Joe talks, uh, Joe does not, it makes Joe feel like you're not likely to work with him on this project. That's really important that you guys are collaborating on. I expect more from you because you're one of my top performers. When you do that, it makes Joe feel bad. It makes you look bad to me. It makes Joe look bad to everybody else. We end up getting behind. What can you do differently? Right. And, and be, be clear, it sounds like you're not addressing, you're not focusing on the source of the disagreement. No. You're focusing on the behaviors no, that yeah. somebody has chosen to use to express the disagreement. Exactly. Because look, if, if people think everybody should agree about everything at work, you're insane. It's just not going to happen. We like the creative tension. We like that. Um, w the feedback is about the conflict behaviors. The difference between a disagreement in the workplace and conflict is the behaviors around how they handle the conflict. We want to say we've got people and we've got work behaviors. And every once in a while, those work behaviors turn into 
conflict behaviors. And what ends up happening is that's why we get the wrong behaviors otherwise, is people don't make the distinction between the work behaviors and the conflict behaviors. Because if you've got a good employee, Mike, their work behaviors day-to-day are pretty good, and then they're in conflict with Joe. Well, that doesn't make all their behaviors bad. It means they've done some conflict stuff. And we need to tell them that's not the way we deal with conflict. Now, now some people may be saying, okay, good, but how do I coach them to, to resolve their conflicts agreeably? Um, and I said, well, you know what? That's a separate cast. That's a, that's a coaching cast about conflict. Uh, we're talking about addressing the conflict as it occurs, when, when the volcano pops, so to speak, when everybody feels like there's a lot of drama. Yeah, there is a way to coach people to make them more effective, but I would argue that somebody could probably write that cast for us who's listened to the coaching model cast in terms of what's the behavior, what's the goal that we ought to set this person to, to work on in terms of the coaching model, what resources are available to help people through the conflict management thing, and I bet you we get 50 emails from people about, here are some resources that I have that helped me through conflict issues before. Okay. So absolutely, you make probably one of the most important points in this cast. We're giving people feedback about the conflict and their behaviors within the conflict, not about the work. Now, two final points we'll cover real quickly. Step three, if you will, in my four-part framing of of the issue is apologies. And I'll tell you what, Mike, you talk about getting stoned. There are people who will say, no, I just can't do that. You know, I, I don't know. Um... But my recommendation is, and I've seen it work so many times, it is so powerful. If you want to take the hot air out of a team in a moment, in a, in a just an absolute moment, particularly if you're the one, one of the people involved in conflict, you ask people to apologize. And, and in, in my case, if you and I were in conflict in front of the team, I'd say, you know what, time out. Mike, may I apologize to you? I am so sorry. Uh, for whatever reason, we're fighting about this small thing. Let's talk about it later. If I've offended you, Please accept my apology. Let's talk about this later. We, I'm sure we can figure it out. And I might be even willing to go to roll over on it and go, okay, fine, whatever. We'll get along. But if you expect to get your way all the time, and this is particularly true of you high C's out there, if you expect to get your way all the time and you're not willing to apologize because you think apologizing means you're wrong, well, I'm sorry, folks, but you're wrong. Apologizing doesn't mean you're wrong. Apologizing means, for the moment, I'm going to put the relationship and gracious professional behavior, which is something we all should aspire, we all uh, can aspire to, not should, can aspire to. Um, I'm going to put that above being right. And there's some high C's that struggle with that. And Mike, you probably struggle more so than I do. I, I don't care about being right. I just want everybody to be happy and I want to get results. Um, some people really, really care about being right. And they write long emails about how accurate they are and how correct they are. And that's good. But sometimes being right gets in the way of being effective. Um, so you, and, you have to help people sometimes role play or whatever to get over that. Is that boy, pretty great? Common? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I would do it. I would sit them and say, I, if a high C was there or, or any of my team for that matter, um, I would sit down and say, look, okay, I'm going to be Joe, and I'd like you to apologize to me. And and if the guy puts his hands in his lap and says, well, Joe, you know, I'd kind of, I feel bad about this. I'd say, uh-uh, let's do it again. And I'll do it 10 or 15 times. I've done it with some of my staff. And I actually had a staff member that I had to coach to apologize to a client for a mistake that she made. And it took probably half an hour to to give her feedback on this particular situation to get her comfortable with it. And I said, keep in mind that you did what you thought was right. It turned out wrong. Let me tell you, I got a list of those. And we can work through that. And the relationship is important to us. Our clients come first. And we're going to apologize. Would you... um would you make this mandatory? Would you let them off the hook if they're uncomfortable, or is this something they, they have I to demand do? it, period. Demand it. Okay. And, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I want to see that they can do it. 
There are people who, even when you demand it of them, they will not. And I think that's an important data point. Am I going to fire them? No. But I'm going to say I consider this part of the conclusion of this incident. And if I talk to, if it's you and Joe, Mike, that have been in conflict, and I talk to Joe, and he says he apologized to you, and then I talk to you, and, he's, and you say, no, he really didn't, I'm going to go back to Joe. Now, I'm not going to ding him on his annual review for it, but I'm going to start noticing that Joe is at times inflexible. And if I if I suddenly get that, that bit of data from you, and then I start looking for it, I might find that Joe's inflexible on an awful lot. And I may have to give him some coaching or some feedback on it throughout the year. And it might be as simple as three months ago, I noticed this, and I've seen this and this and this. And when I see these things in, in succession, I begin to think you may be inflexible. Let's talk about that. What can you do differently? Yeah, I demand it. Am I going to fall my sword about it? No. But I'd want them to know it's part of the process. Here's something interesting for you, Mike. When you give feedback to a top performer and you say, what can you do differently? Many of them, you know what they say? I need to apologize. <laughs> And you just say, well, you just want to tip your hat to them and say, thank you. You're exactly right. That's the right thing to do. Cool. Okay, last step. The work. Let's not forget, this, this volcano happened around a work task, around a situation. It may be cubicle space, <laughs> or it may be what, which uh, slide is going to go first in a very important presentation to the CEO. Whatever it is, you want to come back to it. Um, now, let me just say this. There are too many scenarios to cover all the bases in, in terms of the, the work issue that came up. But junior managers um, just generally tend to forget this. And I, I've seen senior managers forget it as well. Whatever They forget the genesis of the conflict and they focus on the drama, as I mentioned earlier. Um, if two people are fighting, they're probably not fighting over nothing. Um, yeah, there are some small things and, and, and you can let it go. But you always want to recur to that and make sure that it's something that doesn't need your attention. And you may choose to not, but, but it's good to just remind yourself of it. The behavior is inefficient, it's ineffective, it's dumb when they're in conflict. But don't be so happy that when people stop fighting, you forget to ask each of them in your next one-on-one -on -one how they resolve the underlying issue. Now, I want to say that again. Don't forget to ask each one of them in your next one-on-one -on -one with them how they resolve the underlying issue. And, and basically, you're looking for, you're listening for lingering resentments or un the underlying issue not being resolved. Uh, and it may sound like this. Hey, last week you and Bonnie got into it. I gave you some feedback. I asked you to apologize. Have you apologized? Has she apologized? What's the status of the issue that the caused the problem? Give me an update. But I want, you, I want to go back and say it one more time, Mike. In the one-on-one, -on -one, the hidden gem here is that you don't make this a short-term project where today they're in conflict. And so by 3 o'clock, you will apologize to one another. And at 5 o'clock before I go home, I want this problem solved. That goes back to that thing I said in the beginning about managing by exception, and we've got to, we see this as a problem. We've got to, we've got to slam, it, you know, we've got to hit it over the head or cut the head off the snake or whatever analogy you want to use. Um, um, fold your addressing of conflict into your one-on-ones. Don't stop everything else you're doing. Don't, you know, when people come to you and say, oh, we got a big problem, we got to be, okay, I'll be fine. Let, let them see somebody who feels absolutely in control, absolutely calm and confident, not worried that there's a big problem out there. We're just going to go. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to see what I need to do. I'll take my steps. Don't make the conflict the only thing you do for the next four hours one afternoon. That makes it seem like an even bigger deal that everything else stops while we have conflict between Joe and Mike or Joe and Bob. Okay. That increases everybody else's sense of the conflict, and that's not what you want. 
So you can talk to each of them, give them some feedback at maybe the next day, and then you wait until perhaps the next one-on-one to say, hey, how's that resolved? And do we need to go back and talk about the work issue that maybe drove it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I see this so many times. I have so many people around me that this is a fundamental issue, which is when these type of things come up, conflict or, or some other behavior they, they need to address, it becomes a short-term, four-hour, entire afternoon, yeah. everything else stops, because they want a sense of completion. And you know, the great thing about one-on-ones, it gives you a, a, a bucket to, to catch that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have it, you fall into this trap of having to deal with it immediately and and usually in an ineffective manner. So yeah, I, I sometimes I tell people that one of the one of the most important things you can learn on managers learn as a manager has two parts. One is you're not required to have all the answers, and two is you're certainly not required to have all the answers right now. Um, now don't say to people at three o'clock in the afternoon, go home, uh, unless there's a fist fight. Um, and in that case, maybe you ought to fire somebody because um, physical violence, physical aggression, there's no place for it in the workplace. Although. Um, verbal aggression, you might want to send somebody home if they're vulgar or something to somebody. But now we're getting into a lot of subtle HR things that are culturally driven. Um, but but you don't need to solve it right then. And a little bit of pause, a little bit of letting some of the steam come out of the volcano is is fine. And it sends a message to everybody else that, yeah, conflict happens and, okay, it'll be all right. Things will work out. And in fact, that kind of tone of voice with your team, gosh, what are you, you going to do about this? Well, I'll figure it out. Or when a fellow manager comes over to your desk and says, Oh, gosh, I heard there was a big issue. Well, yeah, it'll be okay. I've talked to both of them. It'll be fine. And you act like it's no big deal because, in fact, the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county, and if you put 10 people in a building, you're going to have conflict. And if you put 5,000 people in a building, you're going to have conflict. I guarantee it. And you just need a way to address it. Hey, thanks, Mark. That was That's really good stuff. It's It doesn't seem too complicated, but um, I think folks would really appreciate uh, the kind of the the steps in terms of resolving conflict. Matter of fact, we had, we had a post on the boards today about, about a conflict situation. So um, this is great timing. Good. All right, man. We'll see you later. Take care. Bye. Well, that's it. Uh, and no part two this week. We managed to put one topic in one podcast. Imagine that. Um, as always, if you have any uh, comments you'd like to send to us, you can leave them on the discussion forum at www.manager-tools.com slash forums or send it to us on email, show at manager-tools.com. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you again next week. So long.